Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Um, so like Brian said, it's a little bit impromptu, me being up here. Uh, there's nothing like getting a call at 6.30 on a Sunday morning saying, hey, you're preaching today. Um, so just to preface everything I'm about to say, it might be a little rough around the edges. Um, but it, it is something that the Lord has been stirring in my heart over the past few weeks. And I really think that the heart of God is, is contained in this. And so where things are rough, where things are a little bit messy or unclear, forgive me, that's, that's totally me due to lack of preparation. But um, I'm going to pray to you just that the Lord would, would give us wisdom and discernment to find and to understand the truth in his word. Lord, uh, you are God of all things. You are all-knowing and all-powerful. And you knew that this morning I would be standing up here. Um, God, in in our heart this morning is to hear from you. Um, Lord, we want to hear your word and understand and respond with obedience and with faith. And so we pray that as as your word is preached, you would help us to do that. Um, That you would stir us up, Lord. That you would awaken us um, so that we would love Jesus more. So that we would live lives filled with faith. Um, filled with uh, just a joy, a grace-filled joy because of what Jesus has done and what he means to us. We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you've been here for the last couple weeks, you know we've talked about prayer the past two weeks. Um, We've been doing a series on Luke, if you are new here. Uh, And two weeks ago, we started Luke 18. Um, Ben Rouse was here from Living Word, and he talked about the parable of the persistent widow. Um, who, who goes to the unjust judge and, and keeps coming back and, and bothering him to the point where he's, he's fearful. This, this woman will not leave me alone. Um, and, and so this unjust judge grants her request and gives her justice, uh, with the main point of that being that, that we are to pray and not lose heart. Um, that's how Luke introduces it in Luke 18. He says, Jesus told a parable to the effect that they should pray and not lose heart. Um, so, so that was the first aspect of prayer. We are not uh, widows with no right to stand before the judge. We are not coming to an unjust judge, but we are coming to our good Heavenly Father who, who graciously gives us what we need. And so we are, ought to pray and not lose heart. Um, that was two weeks ago. And then this past week, Johnny talked about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, as Jesus tells that story in the next section of Luke 18. Um, if you remember... The Pharisee stands up there all proud, says, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this person or this person, especially not like the tax collector. Um, And at the time, everyone would have agreed. Pharisee is the man. Spiritually, he's got it going on. He's he's living for the Lord. Uh, Then this tax collector comes in and doesn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, just says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that's the guy who went home justified. And what's really highlighted there is the way that we approach God. We don't approach God on our own merit. We don't approach God because of what we've done or because of how much effort we've been putting into our our spiritual life. We approach God based on his mercy to us in Jesus. And so when we come to God, we come to him humbly. We come to him not fearful of judgment because of Jesus, but with a reverence and an awe that says, Lord, have mercy on me. Um, and so we, we praise God for that because Jesus made the way for us to approach God like that. And because 
of Jesus, we see God's goodness. We see his generosity and his love for us. And so as we pray persistently and don't lose heart, we know that our Father hears us and he will grant to us what we need in the hour that we need it. So the past two weeks, we've, we've talked about prayer in this way. This morning, we're going to look at Ephesians 3 and a prayer of the Apostle Paul for the church to Ephesus. So if you've got your Bible, flip to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 is where we'll start reading. Um, but I want to give just two quick contextual things. Um, number one, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus here who are dear friends of his. If you read in the book of Acts, Paul spent at least two years in Ephesus teaching, growing the church, and so he knew these guys well. There's a point towards the end of Acts where he has to say goodbye to them, and and Luke writes down for us, he says, there was weeping on all parts. Uh, It was was a heartfelt thing. There was an emotional connection. They were good friends. So Paul's writing here to his friends in the church at Ephesus, Uh, and in in Ephesians 3.13, just before the section we're going to read, Paul's been talking about the, the grace given to him. He's been talking about the, the task God has set before him to be a minister of the gospel, to take the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. Uh, but he talks about how he's suffering as well. Uh, and in, in verse 13, he says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. And so there's this real concern of Paul for the church in Ephesus saying, look, don't lose heart because I'm suffering. Stay strong. Keep the faith. Pursue God. Paul, Paul writes many times throughout all his letters talking about his sufferings, all the things he faced as an apostle, as a missionary, the, the torture, the beatings, the shipwrecks, and all these things. But Paul doesn't get downcast. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, and so he as we look at this prayer, he's, he's telling the Ephesians what he's praying for them to encourage their faith so that they do not lose heart. And so here's what he says in Ephesians 3, verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly Then all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So, what we see here, as I said, is Paul's prayer to encourage the faith in these believers at Ephesus. Uh, But there's just a few things this morning that I want to highlight in Paul's prayer, what exactly he's he's praying, and and what I believe the Lord would say to us today as as a church here in Munster, Indiana, um, to to encourage our faith and to direct us in how we ought to live. And so I just want to pull out a couple things, a couple notes about this prayer. Paul starts it off and and he, he says, this is why I'm praying. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Why, what's the reason? Right here in verse four, 16, I'm sorry. He says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. And so the first thing we see is, is Paul is approaching God on behalf of his friends in Ephesus. He says, I'm praying that the Lord, our Father, would, would grant you these things, would grant you power. And so as we talk about prayer, as we've looked at the last few weeks, one thing we need to keep in mind is that we have no, no say on God. Um, we cannot force God's hand. Uh, but Paul says, I'm praying that, that the Father would grant you these things. And because of Jesus, because of what we've seen the last couple weeks, we know that, that God's will towards us, God, God's heart for us is good. He is a loving Father. And so Paul can come to the Lord and he can say, Father, grant them these things. Give them these things so that their faith would be encouraged, so that they would stay strong in the faith, so that they would grow in Christ and, and be all the fullness of God. And, and so we recognize that as we approach this God. He is, he is great and mighty, but he is gracious and merciful towards us. And so as, as we pray, he cares about the desires of our hearts. He cares about our, our stress. He cares about the, the different issues we each face, the sins that we're struggling against. So we, we approach this God who is gracious. He, he has pursued us. He loves us. And so that, that must be forefront in our minds as we're praying. Um, one, one other thing to note about this prayer is, is that Paul is not praying for a specific individual, but he's praying for the church. Um, it, it's a corporate prayer for the church. And I think that's just important to highlight because in our culture, we tend to be pretty individualistic. Uh, we tend to, to come to Scripture and, and say, what's this saying to me? Uh, uh, what, what would God say to me this morning in my devotions? Or how would God encourage me? But here we have Paul writing to the church at large, to, to the, all of the believers in Ephesus. And, and so this morning, as we look at this, we're not primarily coming to it saying, what does God want to say to me as an individual? We're coming to it saying, Lord, what would you say to us as a church, as your body, your people together? What would you say to us? So, so bear that in mind as we, we look at the rest of this. But here's, here's Paul, the rest of Paul's prayer. Paul says this. He says that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul is praying here for this dwelling, this continual, tangible presence of Christ in the midst of the church. That word dwell, and the definition of the original Greek word, that's, that's the definition. Constant, permanent, sensibly. That means a tangible, something real. And that sort of abiding, that sort of dwelling. And so as Paul prays for the church, he's saying, Lord, give them of your spirit, strengthen their inner being so that Christ through faith would dwell. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, that, that's where Christ is. The Holy Spirit comes to glorify Christ, to make much of Jesus. And so when Paul prays and says, Lord, fill them with your Spirit. Give them power in their inner being. He's saying, where the Spirit's at, that's where Jesus is. And so as we are filled with the Spirit, Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. And then he goes on. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, this is really the the heart of what I want to highlight for us this morning. Paul says here, as, as he's praying, you'll notice several times in his prayer he says, so that, for this reason, so. Uh, and, and these are connecting words. He's saying, I, I'm praying this so that this would happen. So he says, I pray that God would strengthen you with power through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So God gives the spirit, strengthens you so that Christ dwells. That follows the spirit strengthening. And he says, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, might have. So that's another connecting word there. He's saying, so that as Christ dwells in your heart through faith, you will be rooted and grounded in love. You will grasp, comprehend, know this love of Christ. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And so, here's, here's the thing, guys. Here's what the Lord's been hitting, putting on my heart over the last few weeks for this church. I look at Scripture and, and as we look, we see all these descriptions of what the church is meant to be. Uh, I mean, the most obvious one is we can look at the book of Acts and see the church in its beginnings, what, what it's like. We see the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We see it growing daily and the Word being preached powerfully and God working miracles and all these incredible things. Just tons of people come into faith in Jesus. This beautiful picture. Um, but we also see these other pictures of the church, these different uh, ways of describing it. You know, Jesus tells his followers, he says, you're the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. You are the salt of the earth. Um, the church, as, as the church, we are workers in God's harvest. We are the body of Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ who represent him to the world. And so in Scripture, we see all these awesome pictures and descriptions of, as a church, who we are meant to be. Uh, and as I look around at, at, at Mercy Hill and also at, at the other Lifelink churches here in Chicagoland and at the church as a whole beyond, I look and I say, Lord, something doesn't quite measure up. Um, Lord, where, where are all these things at today? Uh, because, don't, don't hear me wrong here, I, I know that God's word is bearing fruit. I know that, that there is fruit being born in our lives, that God is doing things in our midst. And I don't want to discount that. Um, we, we never want to despise the, the day of small things. We never want to discount something God is doing. But as we look at Scripture and we see what the church is intended to be like, if we aren't there, we ought to desperately cry out to the Lord to get us there. And so there should always be this zeal and this desire, God, we need more. God, we want to be like that. God, we want to see people come to be saved. And, and so there should always be this, this passion when we see a, a mismatch between where we should be in Scripture and, and where we're actually at. So does, does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me? So we don't discount what God's doing. God is at work among us. People are growing in grace and, and growing in knowledge of Christ. But, <clears throat> excuse me, but there's more. As the people of God, we are called to be so much more than we are today. And so, one challenge, one, one encouragement is this, guys. Just don't settle. Um, don't, don't be content with where we're at as a church, with, with being here smiling on Sunday mornings. Things seem nice. Everyone gets along. 
Like, that is not the church. We are not called to be safe. We are not called to be comfortable as followers of Christ. We are called to be a light to the world. We are called to be His body here on earth and all these great things. And so, here in verse 19, um, at the end of his prayer, Paul says he's prayed all these great things, that they would be strengthened, that Christ would dwell in their hearts, that they would know and comprehend his love. And, And it comes down to this last sentence, or half a sentence. He says, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And in that there, we have the bottom line of Paul's prayer. He's saying, I want all these things to happen so that as the church, you would be filled with the fullness of God. But what does that mean exactly? That's a good question to ask. Because if you you turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul actually says in verse 23, He's talking about the church. He's talking about Jesus. And he says, as he put him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so we see this weird paradox of Paul says the church is the fullness of him. But then two chapters later, Paul's saying, I'm praying that you, you would be filled with all the fullness of God. And so, Paul, are, are you confused here? Um, are, are you, what's going on? You said we were the fullness of God, but now you're praying that we would be. So which one of the two is it? And what we see here is this this reality that we see all throughout Scripture where, especially in the New Testament, they will say, this is what you are. Now become it. Um, And so as we talk about uh, redemption, as we talk about the kingdom of God, the typical phrase uses, it's already here, but not yet fully. And, and so, as we look here, it's as if Paul's saying, you are already the fullness of God, but it hasn't yet been fully realized. Um, you, this is who you are, but you're still becoming it. And, and so it's, it's this weird thing, because the, the reality is, Christ, when he died on the cross, already purchased these things. So Paul can write things like, you are free from slavery to sin. But the reality in a lot of our, our daily lives is we still struggle with sin. So are we free or is Paul wrong? No, Paul says you are free. It just hasn't been fully realized in your life yet. And, and so we, we need to be filled with the Spirit and we need to pursue Christ. And as we do that, we will find the fullness of what Christ purchased for us on the cross. Um, does, that, does that make sense? Um, so there's this already. You're already here. This is who you are. But it hasn't yet the picture hasn't yet been fully revealed in our lives. Um, and so, so that's what, what's happening here with this, this whole fullness of God thing. There's a, a, a pastor, commentator, and he writes this uh, about this phrase, the fullness of God. His name's Brian Chapel. He says, The fullness of God is his sovereign power directed by his divine mercy. When we grasp the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, we are filled up with power that transforms our world for His sake. When we grasp the love of Christ, we are filled with the power of God. So church, like brothers, sisters, family, that's what I want for us. I don't want nice Sunday morning meetings. I don't want 
great high school ministry. I don't, at the end of the day, whatever. Like, those things are great, but they are a means to an end. The reason we come together like this is so that we would be the fullness of God. So that Christ would dwell in our midst through faith. So that God would do great and mighty things. It's not to check a Sunday morning meeting off our to-do list. It's so that the presence of God would tangibly dwell with us. So that the Spirit would be at work in our hearts. So that we would become the the reality of, of who we are. I got, a couple weeks ago, as I was praying for the church, uh, I got this picture, uh, and I'm no artist, and none of you guys will really be able to see it anyways, except a few in the front row, uh, but it's really scribbled on too. Yeah, but this, the picture was this. You, you know when you go to the beach, you, you go in the water, and, and it's shallow, and you're splashing around having fun, but if you keep walking out away from shore, eventually you hit the drop-off. You hit the point where it's like, whoa, it just got deep all of a sudden. Uh, and th- sometimes it's really far out, sometimes it's really close, whatever. But eventually you hit the drop-off. And so as I was praying for Mercy Hill as, as a local church, I got this real sense from the Lord of, as a church, we are, we're on the edge of the drop-off. We're, we, are, we are in the shallow still. God is doing things, but God wants to do so much more. So, so how do we see that happen? How do we become the fullness of God? How do we see the Holy Spirit move in power and change us? Here in Ephesians 3, it's prayer. Paul says, I'm, I'm praying these things. And so, just this morning as, as we close, this is what I, a couple questions I want to ask us. Are we there as a church? Are we the fullness of God? Or, or does this resonate with you that there is so much more the Lord could do? There, there is so much more, so many areas where, where we need God to move. We need God to do things and shake things up and, and make us more like Christ. If, if we're not there, what does that mean? It, mean? it means we need to be on our faces before Him. Just a couple of the songs we sang this morning, you know, what's the one say that, I see a near revival stirring as we pray and seek. Is that right? We're on our knees. We're on our knees. We all sang that this morning, but are we actually on our knees? Are we crying out for the Lord to move in our midst? Because if we're not, we've, we've missed something. If we're not, we're selling God short. So, are we there yet? If not, we can't get there except by seeking God, crying out to God. We can't structure things. We can't program things to the point where we'll do enough so that we'll finally get there and God will have to bless us and move. All we can do is cry out to this God. Uh, but number two, do we have this, this desire for the knowledge of, of Christ, for the knowledge of His love, to, to know and experience the love of Christ? Is it there? As a body, because there's a couple different ways we see Christ's love expressed. We see it in His Word. As we look at God's Word and how all of it points to Jesus, we see this, this undercurrent everywhere of the love of Christ, the love of God for His people, 
throughout the Old Testament with the Israelites, throughout the New Testament with the church, we see the love of Christ made manifest, particularly, most explicitly, in the cross. Um, we also see the love of Christ made manifest as, as the Holy Spirit takes His Word and, and applies these things to our hearts. That's where we really begin to experience it personally. But we see it in one other place as well. We see it in, in the one another's in Scripture. You know, Jesus, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, and He said, love the Lord with all your heart and, and love one another. Um, and so we see the love of Christ expressed as, as a church community, as a, a corporate body, as we are doing life together. We, we express Christ's love to one another. We, we show Christ's love to one another, and we, we demonstrate it. And so let's do these things. Um, we, we want to be the fullness of God. These are ways that we come to realize and know and comprehend the love of Christ. But it's all got to start with, this, with prayer. With us really seeking the Lord. I don't want to um, just pile things on the to-do list, though. Um, I don't want anyone to feel like this is me bashing us over the head. Church, we got to do better. We're not, we're not good enough. Uh, because... That's, that's not the way things work. There's no grace in that. There's no good news in that. Um, in Ephesians 2, just the chapter before, Paul says, he's talking about the Gentiles. He says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have brought, been brought near by the blood of Christ. And in 1 Peter 3, Peter writes and he says, Christ through his death reconciled us to God. He's brought us back to God. And so, guys, this is the gospel that we were far off, but we've been brought near. And we were enemies, but we've been reconciled and made friends and sons and daughters of God. And so, I'm not up here saying, do this and do that. I'm not trying to bash anyone over the head. I'm saying, this is a good God who died to make us His children. Who died so that we could come near to Him. And so being able to draw near to Him now is, is a privilege and a joy and a delight. He is good. He is satisfying to your soul. So much more satisfying than anything this world could offer. And, and so whatever, wherever you might be seeking satisfaction, if it's not in Jesus, you're not going to find it. Wherever you, you might think your worth or identity comes from, if it's not in Jesus, it will get shaken situations will come up that will shake it. If you're, you're trusting in your job, jobs come and jobs go. That our identity and our worth can't be from there. If you're trusting in what you do here at church, in children's ministry or leading worship or things, um, those, those don't work. Those will come, those will go. Seasons will come, seasons will change. Um, but when we find these things in Christ, Nothing touches them. He is good and He is satisfying. And so, as I, say, as I say, church, we need to pray like this. We need to pray that God would be made manifest in our midst. It's, it's because this, this is the, the result of the Gospel in our lives, is a love for Christ, the desire to see Christ made manifest, and Christ dwell with us here. This is the good news, that we, we aren't 
dead in our sins. We aren't weak. We aren't cut off from God. But we've been brought near. And so, um, I think just, just to wrap things up, uh, we've got the last, last couple verses I read in Ephesians 3, verse 20, 21. Um, this, is, this is called the doxology, um, which it's, it's Paul bringing the glory back to God. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And so, as, as I just encourage us to, to take stock of, of where we are at as a church, as a body, where are we at, and, and what would we see God do? And then, after we answer those questions, to cry out to Him to do it, Paul, Paul closes up this section with, to the Ephesians, and he says, I'm praying these things, to the God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And so, church, as, as we pray, as we ask God to move, He's our Father who wants to, to bless that, who wants to answer that prayer. That is His will for us. And He's able to do so much more. You know, one guy talking about this verse, he said, that means that everything I could think of that I would have God do, I can pray right now. And then if something else comes up later, God's able to do that too. And then if something else comes up, God's able to do that. And, and that's, that's kind of funny. Like, it just goes on and on. You know, God's able to do that. Yeah, God can do that. Of course God can do that. Um, but the reality is, that's true. God actually can do that. God, God actually is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And so let's cry out to this God um, as a church, let's, let's cry out to him. Um, I want to see God move. Um, so I'm going to pray, just close us out. Um, I'm sorry if there were jumbled thoughts in there, but I, I just pray that um, the, the heart of God for us to, to be the fullness of what he's called us to be um, would, would resonate with some of us and that we would make it a, a point to cry out to him in prayer that we would we would make it a point to be dissatisfied with where we're at and to to consistently persistently humbly ask God to move in our midst because God answers prayer he, he hears us when we pray so father we thank you that these things are truth we thank you that your word is truth God, I pray that for each person here, you would begin to put things on their heart, uh, things that you would have them do, things that as a church we, we ought to do, um, areas we, we should be growing in but we're not, places in our lives that things need to change. And Lord, I pray that as, as you highlight those areas, you would closely follow it up with the gospel of grace, that you have accomplished everything needed on the cross, that we don't have to work to get better, we don't have to work to be saved, but we are saved completely through Jesus. And Lord, I ask that you would manifest yourself in our midst, that you would pour out your Spirit on us and, and, and work and move 
so that we would be the fullness of, of God, that we would be the fullness of who you've made us to be as your church. Lord, you are, are good and, and you are glorious and, and we want to represent you well in this earth. We want to do what you would have us do and be who you would have us be, but we don't have the, the strength or the power to do that on our own. And so God, we cry out to you to do that in our midst. We sing songs even this morning about submitting and surrendering to you, Lord. Make that a reality in our hearts that we would give you a blank check with, as individuals, but as a corporate body, that whatever you want to do, uh, we would submit to, we would surrender to. So we ask, Lord, that you would show us those things, that you would envision us for where you're taking us as a church, for what you would do in our midst, and that you would uh, raise up faithful men and women who would pray and who would seek your face, who would give you no rest until you move. Thank You for loving us, Lord, and for, for bringing us back to You. Thank You for Your goodness to us. And thank You for the way we see that so clearly in Jesus. We love Him. We worship Him. And we pray it in His name. Amen.